0: Before the carols and the candles. Before the trees, before the lights. Before the tables are set and the meals are made. Before we open our arms to welcome a new Christmas season. Let's not forget to stop and prepare. But not for the parties. But Not for the presents. This year, let's stop and prepare our hearts for the real reason we celebrate. Merry Christmas. Uh, I am not one of you boring traditionalists. I listen to Christmas music uh, all year long. I love it, it's one of my favorites parts of our favorite things to listen to all the time I listen I, I am one of those folks I, I wouldn't leave a Christmas tree up all year but I love Christmas music so you boring people who decided that you're a traditionalist uh, we can talk later and um, I can lead you down the right path on that I hope that you had an incredible It's good to start with insult right um, I hope you had an incredible Thanksgiving I know I, I, our family did we got to travel back to, to Baton Rouge where I'm from and, and spend some time there with our family But as we turn the page this side, I can't tell you how excited I am for Christmas. Not only do I listen to Christmas music all year long, but it it is truly my favorite time of year. I love this season. I love all of the Christmas things. Obviously, the music, as we've already uncovered, but I love the lights. I love the parties. I love the food. Don't say anything about that. I love the movies, not the Hallmark ones, but like the good Christmas movies, movies like Die Hard, right? Like that's that's where that's where I'm at with the Christmas movies. Home Alone slides in there a little bit. I love all of it. And the top of my list of of reasons why I love Christmas in this season is because of what happens in the church as we open up God's word every year and to this to these traditional Christmas passages during this Advent season to, to rehearse and to retell the story of Christ coming. I love this time because of, because of what happens here and what we look at in Scripture. And over the next couple of weeks, as, as Laura said earlier, we're going to work through Matthew's, Matthew's record of Jesus' coming, starting in chapter 1 into chapter 2 and beginning this week with that genealogy, those first 17 verses. And this whole series, is, as we already said, and, and you saw uh, as you came in and in your worship guide, is, is called Christmas Welcome Jesus. And the first time I heard that phrase, when we, when we started talking about what was going to happen, I know this is not how it's written, don't judge my grammar, but, but when I heard it the first time, let me take you down a, the, the, the journey of the way my mind works, I had the picture of, of like an introduction, Right? Like somebody's at a party and they, they see two mutual friends and they call them over to introduce, them, introduce this, these two people. So it's like a buddy calling Christmas and Jesus over and say, hey, listen, Christmas, have you met Jesus? Like really, if you push back all the things, this is a really good guy, and if you push back all the things that surrounds Christmas and, 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 and what you do, the, the lights and the trees and the presents and all those things, it really all comes back to this guy. You may have forgotten Christmas, but you don't exist without Jesus. And so, that idea of, for us over the next several weeks as we walk through the, the gospel of Matthew and his telling of Christ's coming, of saying, Welcome Jesus. And I think the reason why my, my mind goes there, if, if I'm honest, is because, and, and it's a little bit embarrassing, is because of how easily I get distracted by all the things that surround Christmas. I just love it so much, right? I get, I get wrapped up in some of the things that, and I get distracted to what really is going on. To the, really the, the point of this whole, this whole season and Advent is, is not about the lights and the gifts and the parties and the songs. I think I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that the reason why my mind goes that place and why it's so important for me in, in thinking about welcoming Jesus is because of how easily I get distracted. And I don't believe I'm the only one. If we're honest, if we have that just a a moment of clarity, a moment of honesty, we we probably all struggle at some level with just recognizing that Jesus is what all this is about. And so on the beginning of that, before we dive into this passage, and I can't wait to dive into this passage, I just want to take a second. We sung some incredible songs this morning to, to prepare our hearts but I want to just make sure that on the, fore, on the forefront of, the, of this Advent season as we celebrate Christ's coming, I want to just pay, take that moment and pause to give us just a moment of, of silence for just a second and then just pray and ask God just to, just to settle our hearts that we would be those who welcome Jesus first and that from that welcome, the Christmas season would take on a new light. Someone give us just a second and we're going to pray and just give it a moment of silence and you pray, your time to pray just there as you're sitting and then I'll wrap us up and we'll continue to work through this passage this morning. We sing songs, Lord, that say it was a silent night when you came, but it was far from silent. The city was full of activity. And a city full of activity missed the birth of the promised son. Pushed him out back to a stable. God, we know you had a plan in that, but but we don't want this season in the busyness in the craziness of this, these next few weeks before Christmas actually gets here for us to miss your arrival. God, we want to be those as, as your church that say, welcome Jesus. And realize that the wel- in welcoming you It's the most important thing that we could do during this season. As you give us an opportunity year after year to rehearse and retell the story of the coming of your son, Jesus. Let this this be the start of us welcoming you in and setting our eyes on you who is the reason why we're here and celebrate with lights and trees and presents. None of this matters without you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. As Laura said, that's where we're going to work through this morning and the genealogy of, of, of Jesus that Matthew gives us in these first 17 verses. And as we open up God's Word, it, we, we know that God's Word always leads us to Jesus. It's not just happening here in, in Matthew. God's Word always leads us to Jesus. And, and Matthew is, is no exception, obviously, as he tells us this story of what happens in Christ's coming. The verses that we're going to look at this morning are often overlooked as a Christmas passage because they're, they're, I mean, if we're honest, they're somewhat dry, right? The story, the family tree, is not the most exciting part of what happens in, in the Christmas storytelling. But if, we're, if, if we just slow down for just a moment, it, honestly, this is one of those passages in Scripture that I get most excited about being able to preach, Because inside of these 17 verses is this powerful story of God's sovereignty, of God's God's power and might over all things to bring about the birth of his child. And it all leads us to Jesus. As he starts with Abraham and walks all the way through, he leads us to Jesus. And if we read these, these verses through the lens, one of the reasons why I would say that it's boring for some of us is because we read it through the lens of a westerner. We got to remember that when we read Matthew chapter one, the original audience for Matthew was not Americans in the twenty-first century. That, that, that for Matthew, his audience were Jews in the first century. Jews who had seen and heard some of the story of what Christ had done. They had been around to watch him and teach and some of those things. But, but this, on this side of his death, burial, and resurrection, there's questions about who he is. And Matthew knows, for the people that he's writing to, that who you are and where you're from is very important. So that's why he starts with a lineage. With the story of where Christ came from. And honestly, even though it's important for them, and maybe we don't see that as as clearly as being Americans in, in this century, the reality is that it's very important for us because if it doesn't start with Abraham, if Jesus is not from the line of Abraham and from the line of David, then this story and what we come here to celebrate isn't true. So the lineage matters for the Jews, but it also matters for us this morning because it proves that Jesus is The promised one that God would send, and what God was doing as he tells this story. Matthew reaches way back to that audience. He knows that that who you are and where you're from is important. As one pastor writes, he says, You cannot read the Old Testament without being aware of this constant promise running through every page that someone is coming. That someone is coming. And what Matthew does in these first 17 verses is that he says, the one who is coming is Jesus. That someone that we've been waiting for is Jesus. It's this, this, this one that would be born, that, 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 Joe, that Matthew joins into the anthem of the Old Testament and says, this is the one that we've been waiting for. And it all happens in this climatic moment in the birth of Jesus in the city of Bethlehem to this young girl that's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And this child that's born in that manger, everything hinges on his birth. And because when he comes, everything changes. All of history hinges on the birth of this child, following the lineage that Matthew describes. And because he's born, everything changes. And so over the next few moments, what, 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 I, what I believe Matthew writes here, there's a couple of things that I think are really important and powerful reminders for us to hold on to during this Advent season. And so we're going to spend the remainder of time in these three things. And the first one is this. What Matthew is trying to communicate is this overwhelming truth that God keeps his promises what Matthew's doing, as he writes these 17 verses, starting with Abraham and, and, and coming all the way down to Joseph and Mary, is that God keeps His promises. It's striking how to the point that, that, excuse me, that Matthew gets in this chapter. He doesn't ease into it. He goes straight for the point. Verse one, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You may say Messiah or Christ in your translation, depending on what you're, you're reading, but it all means the same thing. It goes back to this, this meaning. What Matthew's communicating is that he's making sure that we understand that this is the genealogy of the one that God promised, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, who was promised that would come, the one that God promised to David and to Abraham. He's saying, listen, I want you to be convinced of the same thing that I'm convinced of, That Jesus that was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem who lived a perfect life and died a death on a cross rose from the dead defeating sin and death and ascended into heaven. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David, to King David, and to our father Abraham. God fulfills his promises. The fact that God fulfills his promises is important To understand God's faithfulness and to rest in God's faithfulness is important. And it teaches us this lesson. It it begs this question of why is God's faithfulness, why does it matter so much? And for us, and even for the Jews, as they would read this and and going back into the New Testament or to the Old Testament, what we see is that sometimes to rest in the promises God has before us, we have to be reminded of the promise God has, the God, excuse me, reminded of God's faithfulness behind us. To rest in the promises that God has before us, sometimes we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness behind us. And so for the Jews in the first century, as they read this, and for us today, as we look forward to God's promises that maybe we sit in our that we have in our own life, that, that we know God's working something, that we're moving towards something that we feel God's promised us, is that we have to look back sometimes and realize that God has been faithful in the past so that we can rest in the promises that he has before us. As you look in this passage, in these 17 verses, I'm not going to read all of them for us, but just taking a quick look, you can sense the longing and the, and the long wait to see God fulfill this promise and why his faithfulness would be so important for Abraham. Because if you go back, it, 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 God's faithfulness is important because sometimes these promises don't happen quickly. It was in Genesis chapter 12 that God first made the promise to Abraham. When he says, hey, I want you to leave your father's house and everything that you know, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he makes this promise in in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He says, I will make you a great nation. He doesn't have a kid at this point. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. He makes this promise, and then there are 14 generations between Abraham's promise, the covenant that God makes with him, and David. 14 generations. God's faithfulness is important because sometimes he doesn't fulfill his promises quickly. And then David comes. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes another promise to David and says that in your house and your throne will endure forever. And what He's saying is that you're going to be the line, you're you're going to be the branch of this tree that I bring the king, the one the king that will endure forever, that God's anointed one, the Christ that Matthew refers to in the first part of this passage, that that's going to come through David. And then there are 14 generations from David. To the exile of the Babylon, the exile of the Israelites to Babylon. And that was a time when God's people were, were captive and, and enslaved to another group of people. Fourteen generations. And then they're enslaved. But during that time, God graciously gives prophets who would share this message that God had not forgotten them. That even though they were in captivity and all looked dark, that God had not forgotten them. And that's where we get some of these, these prophecies like Jeremiah where he says that, that he will come and he will be the righteous branch of David reminding them that David had gone before and this is the promise and he will deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land and Jeremiah 31 where he prophesies that he will come and he will establish a new promise, a new covenant with his people and this covenant will be with his own blood and that covenant will be written on the hearts of his people marked by forgiveness of their sins. This is the time in this, this span of time where, where God gives the, the message to Ezekiel He says he'll breathe life into dry bones. That where where death once reigned, life will reign because the Spirit of God will bring life to them because of the coming of this promised one. And then there are 14 more generations from the exile to the birth of this, this child. All in all, it's about 2,000 years from Abraham to the birth of Jesus. 2,000 years of waiting and longing for God to fulfill his promises. 2,000 years, many spent in exile and under and enslaved to other countries. 2,000 years of wondering, will God come through? Struggling and walking away from God. You can feel the weight. Of that longing, of that, that long period of time where God had promised but that fulfillment of the promise had not yet come. And if you turn to Luke chapter 2, one of those more traditional passages that we read during this Christmas season. At the end after the, the angels sing and the birth and all of those things. It says that, that Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. And they meet a man named Simeon there. And Simeon had been promised by God that he would not see death until he met the Messiah. And as Mary and Joseph walk into the temple that day, there Simeon stands and he takes Simeon into his arms. And you can hear the longing of the Israelites in the voice of this man as he holds Jesus in his arms. And he says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 28. He says, He took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory of your people, Israel. You can hear this longing that has been fulfilled as he holds this child, just days old, in his hands. He says, You fulfilled your promise. Now I can die, old age, because you've let me go in peace. But Simeon's words don't just tell us that God fulfilled his promise. He says also that God has a purpose. And if there's something else that we need to hold on to during this Advent season, it's not only that God fulfills his promise, and looking back at his faithfulness helps us hold on to those promises in the future, but that secondly, as Simeon points out, that God has a purpose. That God has a purpose in sending this son, this child. Has a purpose. In verse thirty, he says, "My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory, the people of your of your people Israel." God's purpose as he fulfills this promise in this moment in time, was not just to send a child, woohoo! It wasn't just so that he could have angels sing and for a star to be hung in the sky, right? Dads, you're doing a great job handing out bubblegum cigars. God hung a star in the sky. But it wasn't just so he could send out a birth announcement. He had a purpose, and it was to rescue his people. He was bringing salvation for his people and for the Gentiles, As Simeon says in Luke 2, the purpose was to restore what had been broken by sin. The genealogy tells us this story of God's rescue. This child was God's rescue plan. It would be through him that he would rescue his people. And this genealogy is not a new story. It's it's a story that, that is from the Old Testament. What Matthew would not see his story, as he tells it here in the first part and throughout this book that he writes, he would not see it as, a, as separate from the Old Testament, but a continuation of what God has done in redeeming and rescuing and, and pursuing his, pa- his people to bring, bring them to redemption. The individuals on this list are not randomly connected. They're all a part of God's purpose to rescue and restore what was broken by sin. This is honestly, in my opinion, probably the most exciting part of this whole Advent season. The reality, the truth of the message that as Christ comes, as that baby is laid in a manger, that this is salvation for his people. That God desires to be with us, in relationship with us. What was broken because of our sin, because of what we did, and because of what happened in chapter three in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, Jesus comes and he comes to restore that brokenness. There's a purpose for the for, for us to rescue it, but that purpose and, and the people that he uses to bring about that purpose is nothing short of scandalous. Let's just look at some of the names that are listed here. Says verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. If you just pause and think about Abraham, Abraham was obviously a faithful man, incredible that all the things that he did in following the Lord, but there was a period of time after God promised him that he would have a son and make him a great nation that Abraham began to question whether or not God would fulfill his promise. And in that moment, rather than waiting for God to fulfill his promise, he has a child with his wife's servant. That's a whole other storyline in Scripture. But but there, in this moment, Abraham struggles to, to follow God faithfully. And he has a son named Isaac. Isaac plays favorites with his boys right the great example of what it means to be a father this is not something you go back to and learn from there you can learn from the mistake of Isaac and then Jacob his his one of his two sons that he blesses is a swindler i mean he's it's scandalous the individuals that are used here you go down a little bit farther there's a story of Judah who is one of Jacob's 12 sons and Judah and what happens with his daughter-in-law Tamar is scandalous it's one of those passages in, 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 in Genesis that really should be marked with, a, with an R, right? It's, it's a little bit outside of what we think would happen in the Bible. It's tucked into this story of Joseph's life in Genesis, but this, this little stream of Judah that would be one of the fathers of Jesus It's a scandalous story, but God uses these people to bring about his purpose. If you skip down just a little bit farther, we meet a lady named Rahab. And Rahab was a lady of questionable character. She lived in the city of Jericho and she hid the spies as Joshua sent those spies into the city and and then lied about that and then made an arrangement so that when when the Israelites came and took over the city that they would save her family. And that happened and and one of those spies went back and married Rahab. Listen, she was a harlot in the city of Jericho but she's one of the great grandmothers of Jesus and had a purpose for her and their son is this incredible gentleman named Boaz who rescues and marries a young lady named Ruth who's an immigrant farmer or immigrant field worker and their son is the great is the father or the grandfather of King David the list continues and it doesn't get any less any less shocking but but shocking is not what I want you to hear. What I want you to hear is this unbroken line of broken individuals that God has a plan. That through this unbroken line of broken individuals that God has a plan and he is sovereign and he can use even broken people to bring about his purpose. Let's settle in in our hearts this morning that God's purpose was to restore relationship with you and I. To rescue us from our sin. That Jesus entered earth, stepped out of heaven into our darkness to rescue us from our sin. To restore us to relationship with him. In John chapter 3, Jesus himself says this, For God so loved the world... He gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Maybe this morning you're you're here, and you have a past. Maybe it's, maybe yours is checkered or scandalous like some of the individuals that are listed in Matthew's genealogy. Maybe your family tree is one of those that you would rather not be published so other people could read it. But did you hear what Christ just said? That he didn't come to condemn the world but to save it. That this morning, if you're feeling the weight of that condemnation, the weight of that shame that makes you feel that you could never be loved by God, that you could never be used by God for his purposes, hear this loud and clear. This may be the most important message that we hear in this Advent season, that God so loved you. That God so loved you that he sent his son to rescue you. His purpose was to redeem you and to restore you into a relationship that he wants to have with you. God wants to be with us. He would do anything to make that happen, even send his son to die on a cross. And if it's even a step further where you're thinking, okay, I can get that, that God loves me, that's fine, but there's no way that God can use me. Listen, again, refer back to the list that we just read. And some of you are nodding your head. You're thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, I know God can use me. Or some of you are shaking your head saying, there's no way. Listen, not only does God have a purpose in sending his son to rescue you and I from our sin and restoring us into relationship, God has a purpose for your life. Jeremiah tells us that, for I know the plans that I have for you. Obviously, he's speaking to a people, but it's individual, individuals that he's going to use that plan. You have a purpose. Let that settle in, because honestly, this morning, some of us are in that dark place where we just don't feel like there could be a purpose for our lives. Maybe it happens during the season where, where the, the heaviness and the, and the craziness of, of maybe past memories and broken relationships makes you think that there's nothing here to live for. And that's the anti of what this Advent season tells us, that you have a purpose, and God sent his son to bring that purpose about in your life. It's one of the reminders that I think we need to hold on to, that God fulfills his promises it's powerful for us in this advent season that he has a purpose in rescuing us and using us for his purpose and his glory. Last, there's one more that I think we can hold on to that, that, that I think we really need to listen to this morning. I'll let you end on a pet peeve of mine. I may get in trouble during this service for that, this one, but I can't stand to be late. Like, I, I can't stand it. Hey, y'all, some of y'all are like, the 10 minutes before you're supposed to be there is on time, right? I'm like 30. I, I, like I, I cannot stand to be late. And I also don't have a lot of patience for people who are late. This is where I might get in trouble. Because outwardly, I might be like, oh, it's okay, no big deal. But inwardly, I'm judging you. <laughs> inwardly, I'm like, you can leave the house early too. You're so special. don't like being late I, it, 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 and then waiting on things like like for some of you you enjoy shopping from your phone so that you can arrive at your door right i want to buy it in the store and have it in my hands the time between hitting send and purchasing it on amazon and the two and a half days that it takes to get there right that's an eternity <laughs> if they have those drones that fly it in then i might start that But if you can connect with me at any level uh, on the, the, the idea of being late or not wanting to wait, or if you're just really still caught up in the fact that I'm judging you, you can get over it. But I believe that this passage has some incredible truth for us this morning that we cannot miss. That God keeps his promises, he has a purpose, and that his timing is perfect God's timing is perfect. It may not feel like that's true, but it may feel like God is missing a deadline, that He's forgotten what time He said He would be there. But Scripture confirms that Christ came at just the right moment. His timing is perfect. Galatians, Paul says this, in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7, or verse 4 and 5, excuse me, it says this, but when the time Excuse me, but when the time set had fully come, others, other passages, or other um, translations say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent a Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. What does that mean? It means that God's timing is perfect. But historically speaking. The, the spot where Jesus was born was, was in a period of time in history where the Romans ruled most of the civilized, most of the known known civilization. And their rule was, was, was called the Pax Romana. Don't fall asleep, okay? History lesson's not gonna last long. It was called the Pax Romana. And even historians who don't believe in Jesus or are not Christians will tell you that the reason why Christianity had the opportunity to spread so quickly and so far was because of the time when God sent his son. When Jesus came and, and what was happening in the known world at the time, there was the, the emperors, uh, Caesars of, of that time of Roman, of Roman rule had, had all of these roads that led to the cities. All the cities were connected and the transactions that could happen would net previously not would have been impossible. But even more so, even the thing that's even more significant is that most of that Roman rule, even though these places were diverse, was under one language, the language of the Greeks. So because of that time, gospel spreads with incredible reach in such a short amount of time. But the history lesson is not what I want you to hear this morning, as significant as it is. Because what I, what I don't want you to get is that God was somehow looking at, at the Romans and the Caesars and what they were all doing and being like, ooh, this looks like a really good time. Look at what these Caesars are doing. God knew far, beyond, far before that moment, before the foundations of the earth, that this would be the moment when Jesus would come. He didn't miss the moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve broke, that, broke the covenant with him and ate the fruit. He didn't miss sending Christ then. He didn't miss sending it with Abraham when he made that promise. He didn't miss it with King David. He knew exactly the right time for Jesus to come. His timing was perfect. And for us this morning and today, I believe without a doubt that some of us need to hear that in the middle of our struggle and in the inward darkness that maybe is going on in our hearts, that God's timing is perfect. What I pray over the next several weeks as we celebrate this Advent season, as you go look at Christmas lights and you see manger scenes and you set up your tree and you sing songs that over and over again by God's grace, every time we see those things, he would remind you that his timing is perfect. He's not forgotten about you. When you're anxious and you're worried that and hoping that God would fix some problem, you feel like he's late, I pray that he, he would remind you that his timing is perfect. Maybe it's you're in the midst of a, a singleness or, or you have a job situation and, and, you, and you feel like God should already have fulfilled this promise and I pray that in this season God reminds you that his timing is perfect maybe it's finances that you're struggling with maybe it's a marriage that seems to be falling apart maybe it's a health issue that's plagued you for years and years or months and months and you just wish that it would just end and I want by God's grace what my prayer is that when we see all these things of Christmas what God would do by his grace is remind us that his timing is perfect He was going for something. Matthew was, had a point. He wanted to capture our attention, capture our hearts with this life-transforming truth that it all leads to Jesus and that life-transforming truth that Jesus is the promised one that brought purpose, who came at the perfect time, It's what Matthew wants us to grab a hold of this morning. What I pray God would would bring about, bring bring to mind throughout this season for each of us, the reminders that he keeps his promises. He has a purpose. And his timing is perfect. Danielle's going to come, and we're going to sing just one more song. At the same time, we're going to... receive the offering and worship through giving. As we close this morning, I, I just, I want you to hear me say, or I want to give you this opportunity to seek out some someone to pray with you. And if you're in the middle of one of those places and you just need somebody to come alongside you and remind you that God has not forgotten about you, then myself and some of our leadership will be here, some pastors and some of our ASICs will be available to just spend a couple minutes praying with you. Just to come alongside and, re- and just be reminded that God remembers you. that He has a purpose. After the last service, I got to speak to a woman who's three weeks from having a child, their second child. <laughs> They don't know what the baby is. They don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but they do know that the baby has Down syndrome. She just wanted to know that there was a purpose. And that God had not forgotten about her. It was a precious moment for me because I got to bring my son who has a genetic syndrome called Sotos Over. And though we didn't know when he was in Rebecca's womb that he had an issue. When he was five, we found out. And I can tell you that there's a purpose. As dark as those moments were, there's a purpose. And God, by His grace, surrounded us with people to walk alongside. And shoulder that 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 struggle with us and if that's where you are and we want to walk alongside you and shoulder that struggle whatever it is because God keeps his promises he has a purpose his timing is perfect as we sing we're also going to